Assalamu alaikum and welcome to this week's special episode of Freshly Grounded. This episode was shot over the course of a week. Uh, as a lot of you will know, we just came back from the Light Upon Light tour, uh, for which Mufti Menk was the kind of main keynote speaker. And on that tour, in each of the cities, we were able to do a live episode of Freshly Grounded for the audience. We now have that footage for you today and you guys are going to absolutely love it. Um, you'll have to forgive some of the audio issues because obviously with each of the events, there's kind of a different audio system and different atmosphere and different surround. Uh, different surround? That's not even a thing. Uh, different, you know, sound stuff. Uh, and uh, and we've kind of, what we've tried to do is kind of integrate the different um events all into kind of one video and weave in the episode so rather than just playing like six different videos uh we try to weave them all in so uh, it's really interesting mufti ben gets personal we ask him a lot of personal questions and it's really interesting hearing from him from him he has a lot of advice uh for the general people uh, which we also go into but the whole episode or throughout the whole episode we played the game so a lot of you will know that the game is uh, our kind of flagship product here at Freshly Grounded. And it's a game or a box of 100 conversation cards. You'll get an example uh, of the type of questions that we have in this game uh, through this episode. But really, we created it because we've been so blessed to have conversations with so many amazing people, just like Mufti Bank and had hours and hours of conversation and we wanted to now hand that conversation over to you allow you to have beautiful conversations with loved ones with friends with families perhaps even with strangers to break the ice and on that topic we've now just released our first ever piece of merch that is directly linked to the game so we've taken a quote from the game one of the questions from the game and we put it on a t-shirt and i'm wearing that for you now i mean i'm not wearing it for you i'm wearing it for, for me but I'm wearing it right now. Uh, and this, if you can't see on camera, it says, what's your favorite struggle? And that's one of the questions in the game. And it's something that provokes thought, right? Like you're walking down the street, someone would probably look at it and say, what does that even mean? And when I, and that's actually one of the questions we asked Mufti Mank in this episode. And when people ask me that question, I often say fatherhood, right? Because fatherhood is not easy. There's some struggle with it, but it's my favorite thing in the world. And so uh, that's my favorite struggle and I'm sure there's loads of things that come to your mind when, when you think of that question and so I think it's a great icebreaker not only that but the shirt genuinely is probably the best quality t-shirt we've ever released and I say that confidently it's probably the best quality t-shirt and we spared no expense even with the um the quote itself is not printed on it's stitched on uh it's embroidered and so the quality of it is just phenomenal uh, I, I really do think that so uh, do check that out you can buy both the game and the t-shirt at shop.freshlygarnered.com also if you like this kind of event um we are going to we are doing a freshly guarded live tour uh, and so it's a live event in birmingham manchester and london in the uk where you'll be able to experience freshly grounded live and in person and uh, we're going to have keynote talks. We're going to have fun and games. We're going to have uh, audience interaction. And there's going to be lots of chance to win prizes. And uh, and we're going to have uh, opportunities to give charity and just loads of conversation. It's going to be a nice, uh, intimate live setting. Uh, and Birmingham is the first one. There's only... Uh, about 150 seats remaining in Birmingham, or just less than that. Uh, that's on February the 5th. So do grab your tickets for Birmingham, uh, Manchester and London. You can get them all by going to freshlygrounded.com forward slash tour. And finally, before we get into this episode, 
this episode was a partnership with Iman Academy. So the tour, the media partners for the uh, Light Upon Light tour was Iman Channel and the education partners or one of the education partners were Iman Academy. And Iman Academy provide uh, people who are perhaps like you and I, uh, who work and who are very busy with the ability to learn the fundamentals of your religion uh, for just £5 a month. And £5 a month is a special offer that they're doing uh, for this tour and for this episode, which you can grab via the link in the description. So do check that out. And without any further ado, enjoy this episode, this special episode, episode 264 of Freshly Grounded with Mufti Menk. Enjoy. And welcome to a Freshly Grounded, the brand new podcast. Well, it's not exactly brand new anymore, is it? Welcome to Freshly Grounded, the podcast. That's better. Created by best friends, Faisal and Sam. Huh? I I said, welcome to Freshly Grounded. After that bit. Created by... After that bit. Best friends, Faisal and Sam. Really? I would like you to please, brothers and sisters, welcome on stage for a live episode of Freshly Grounded, Mufti Mank. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, very, very well by the will of Allah. How, was your, how were your travels? Are you, are you keeping well? Did you manage to get here okay? Well, the travels have been really tough because I've been away from home for approximately six weeks because when they announced that uh, Southern Africa was going to be cut off from the rest of the world, I was away and I decided not to go back because I needed to come and see you guys. So I, and then a few weeks later they said, well, now it's okay and uh, they can come. But too late, I was already away for so long. So Alhamdulillah, all in the good cause, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Well, Sheikh, we'll get straight into it, inshallah. So this game, as you know, some of the questions you played it before can get quite personal. Others are a bit deeper. I think I've done two thirds of those questions. No, no, you haven't. You sure? Yeah, How many yeah. do you have in a pack? 100. Oh, no, no, I have, I've only answered about 10 yeah. so far. Don't worry, there's plenty more, Sheikh. So let's see. Oh, as always, the first question is quite personal, Sheikh. Allah forgive you, my brother. These personal questions give me away, man. Inshallah. Okay, Sheikh. This question, I've heard you talk about something similar before. The question says, tell me something about your father that you didn't appreciate until you became older. It is the same thing that I appreciated when I became older. The whip. I was beaten blue and green. Subhanallah. When I was young, I recall we had this... Oh, I loved my father and I still love him to pieces. He's a role model. He's taught me a lot of what I knew very early on. I became a hafid with him and he dedicated a lot of time to us, even though we're nine siblings. But uh, at that particular time, corporal punishment was something that was never discussed. No one ever laid limits to it. So when I was young in, in 1800s, what happened is, uh, that was the way things were done. I mean, you guys are laughing. Some of you are dinosaurs just like I am. Inshallah. I, I mean 1900, sorry. So I think that is one thing that I didn't appreciate. And later on, I felt, and I still do feel that what molded me to what I am today is the discipline. Although nowadays, the methods of discipline are fine-tuned and mashallah, they're much 
more advanced and I, I, I personally would not like anyone to be beaten as such. But at the same time, perhaps discipline by taking the phone away, it hurts much more than a whip. I think some of the kids would say, just whip me, but give my phone back, you know. That's what they would do, perhaps. Am I right? Look, they're all saying, yeah, ha, huh? say that to the authorities. They'll say, no, may Allah forgive us. Okay. Okay, let's go to the next question. The next question, it says, one of Allah's names, uh, it, it kind of translates to the provider, Razak. What are you thankful for that money can't buy? Contentment, happiness. What else? Uh, yeah, contentment. That's one thing. That's a feeling in the, that Allah gives you based on how well you rely on Allah and trust Him completely for everything. No matter what happens in your life, it's something uh, that has to be positive, as negative as it may seem. Something will come out of it at some point. And I am one of those who's convinced in that way. Uh, as I might have had a very, very challenging moment, but I'm smiling and I'm totally reassured within my heart that this was a good thing. It's okay. What does a perfect night in look like to you? A night in meaning at home. Yeah, a night at home, Mufti makes relaxing. Well, those are most of my nights, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I'm very, very connected to my children because when I'm traveling, I communicate with them via the phone. And so when I'm at home, I like to see them. I like to have a meal. I like to get them up one by one. I'd like The little ones, I like to talk to them. The elder ones, the older ones, uh, I'd speak to them. But obviously, I wouldn't demand that they come. You know? But alhamdulillah. And uh, I'd like to have a meal or at least some tea in the evening or towards the night uh, together. And to be able to talk about the day and to be able to talk about a few important things and laugh a little bit and perhaps uh, share a few things, hear what happened and didn't. And then, yeah, pray together perhaps and then get ready to go to bed. And before you go to bed, you look at your phone and you see the final set of uh, messages and respond a few of them. And uh, bismillah, do you some adhkar and fall off to sleep. Alhamdulillah. Some of the, as you know, this conference is about uh, social media. And you mentioned when you're home to kind of put the phone away and to be present. And that's something that I think a lot of people speak about nowadays, when you're home, putting the phone away. How important do you think it is generally for us to make sure that we are spending real time with the family when we are home? Putting the phone away, I'm guilty of not doing it as I preach it, perhaps. And I'm, I'm guilty in the sense that I need to improve. I'm not that bad, but I think I could do better. It's just that thousands of people demand your time. And uh, in my case, a lot of them are very, very important. And you can only respond to two or three or four at times. And so putting your phone away to me definitely means that you will be able to spend better quality time with the rest of your family on condition that they all do the same. Because it's pointless for me to put my phone away and then everyone else is still on their phones. What will I do? I pick it up, you know? So, uh, yes, it's really important, I think, to, to be disciplined in that regard. And that's why we're talking about social media because it has a good side to it and it has a very, very challenging side to it. If you're not disciplined enough, you could get carried away and you would never see happiness in your life. 
because happiness is connected to the real people in your presence rather than those out there who may be real in their own world but they're not necessarily in your physical world and that's just temporary at times and it's sometimes even fake so it's important to set limits everything you could uh, perhaps exceed those limits by a few minutes 10 15 minutes maybe 20 depending on how important the last thing you're doing is but not more than that it says one of Allah's names translates slightly to the subtle a latif do you remember a time in your life that kind of was subtly shaped something that reminded you of that name or can you give us some advice around the name al latif you know when i went through and i go through often the names of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just to ponder over them and al latif is something that comes up so often because every fine detail of your life planned by Allah, known by Allah, and He is in control of it. Even though He permits you and allows you to let things happen sometimes according to your choice, because that's the uh, sophistication of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On one hand, He knows what's going to happen. The other hand, He gives you the ability to do things within a certain capacity you can. I mean, if I want to, for example, jump up to this ring at the top that the lights are on for example as a human with the capacity i have i already know i can't do that right but whatever allah's given me the capacity to do like to knock this thing down right now if i were to get up and start kicking it i would be able to do it but i'm not going to do it because i'm not a fool but at the same time it's an allah given capacity and I need to use it in the correct way. So because I'm going to sit here and just allow it to be in front of me, Allah already knew that. And Allah knew every detail. Allah knew that I was going to make it here today. He knew that we were all going to make it here today. But did he force us to do this today? The answer is no. He gave us the choice and we used it. But he knew that we were going to use our choice in a specific way. So Allah Almighty knows every detail. For example, the shoe that you have underneath it, the dust particles that are there, the Almighty knows exactly what they have. Let me give you one beautiful example, that of the virus. If you have the virus, you don't know, you can have a lateral flow test 10 times and it might just show negative and you still could have been positive, who knows? But Allah knows, right? Allah knows and he is in control and then you might have medication is it benefiting or not who knows Allah knows sometimes the tests don't show but Allah knows so that is Allah intricate you know the the, the, the the slightest the smallest of detail is planned by Allah in the control of Allah and we just in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you watch the little ant as it moves and you think to yourself when Allah says Nothing that moves on earth except that Allah has made it a duty upon himself to provide for it. And Allah is the one who gave it its life and who shall take that life away, who provides for it, who takes away from it and so on. That is Allah Almighty. 
nothing that moves except that it is provided for by Allah. So the smallest organism that you see, Allah created it, Allah knows about it, and Allah provides for it. And I always give an example to those who are complaining that, you know, I don't have a job, etc., etc. Yes, keep on calling out to Allah, correct. But remember, if Allah provided for the ants and the flies and the mosquitoes, we are far bigger than those. He's going to provide for us. He will, he shall, he did. And he's always given us. May Allah grant us goodness. Amen. Finish the sentence. I love who I am when I am with. That's a tough one. Is it supposed to be like a person? Because I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. It's up to you. My family. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I think my family is by far the most important people in terms of those whom I'd like to be with. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love being in Luton as well. But I think family, people don't realize the importance of it. And you know, when people become wealthy, famous, uh, perhaps lots of knowledge, perhaps you gain a lot, maybe popular, whatever it may be. I think what we don't realize is uh, the closest circle is the most important one. Come what may. Come what may. I have a very small circle of friends and I've made it smaller and smaller as the years pass. I have acquaintances. I know a lot of people, but I wouldn't let them into my closed circle. I think that's my immediate family. And come what may, even if there is a little squabble between a few of uh, the family members, it will be sorted out within five or ten minutes. Not late, not long, not more. Jazakallah khair for opening up for us. Sheikh, this next question, I'm going to spin it a bit. The question, it reads, do you need to forgive yourself more easily? But what, how I want to spin it is I want to say to you that I believe it may have been yesterday, in yesterday's conference, that you were speaking about istighfar and tawbah. And uh, one of the things that was being mentioned was about uh, once making tawbah, you know, accepting that you've been forgiven, kind of moving on from that, right? So uh, a general advice to, to us about forgiving ourselves too. I think one of the plots of shaitan, which is not known by a lot of people, is that he makes you doubt the fact that you are forgiven by Allah. Once you seek forgiveness, shaitan is very upset because he did not want you to seek forgiveness. So the minute you seek that forgiveness and you say, oh Allah, forgive me, shaitan becomes upset, but he hasn't lost hope in deviating you so what he does is he comes back to you after you seek forgiveness and starts making you doubt that you are actually forgiven so you start thinking you know what i'm not forgiven i don't think so and so on and this is where what you've just said comes into play you need to learn to forgive yourself and you need to learn to understand you're a human. One thing that gives me a lot of comfort, and I'm not saying this because I want to encourage people to sin, na'udhu billah, that's wrong. But I want to say this because we're living in an environment where sin is prevalent and it's very difficult at times because of the pressures of society, community and the environment. So people fall and falter and then they think that they're bad so they become worse because they think there is no hope for them and so on. But what happens and what we need to know is Allah Almighty is most forgiving. He created Adam alayhi salam. And it's a thing I think of a lot. He told Adam alayhi salam with Hawa or Eve, may peace be upon them both. He said, 
you can do whatever you like in this little garden. It was called a Jannah, right? Where they were was a place called Jannah. Not exactly the Jannah we are going to be returning to when we go. It's not Jannatul Khuld that we are going to be going back to. But it's Jannah. It's, a, para, it's a, a type of a garden that was specially made for that purpose. And Allah says to, to them both that do whatever you want, but don't touch. Don't come close to this tree. Don't eat from the fruit of this tree. That was the only instruction that Allah gave Adam and Eve. May peace be upon them both. The only instruction was don't eat from this tree. What did they do? What did they do? They ate from exactly that tree. You see. So what did Allah do? When Allah received their statement of seeking forgiveness. رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. And if you don't forgive us, and if you don't have mercy on us, we are going to be the losers. And so Allah Almighty forgave them. So if Allah Almighty forgave them for doing something that he clearly instructed them not to do, they knew shaitan, so they did not doubt that they were forgiven. They knew they were forgiven because Allah forgave them. With us, unfortunately, shaitan comes back to us and makes us think you're not forgiven. And so we plunge deeper and deeper into other sins and then shaitan is excited. So don't allow that to happen. Something happens, improve, pat yourself on the back, feel good about the fact that you've turned back to Allah. If you happen to falter again in a similar way, turn back to Allah. And that should repeat itself again and again until the day you die. May Allah Almighty grant us a death in a way that we were, or we are, or we will be, the best possible version of ourselves, the closest to Allah at that particular time. Ameen. Ameen. He says, what do you know about yourself now that you didn't know when you were younger? Sorry to repeat it. What do I know about myself now that I didn't know when I was younger? Yeah. Almost everything. I mean, subhanAllah, almost everything. You know, uh, I, I learned a lot. Actually, to be very fair, what I learned now that I didn't know when I was a little bit younger was to respect people who differ with me. Oh, that's something I really learned. And, and to honor them and to, to, to offer them that, you know, uh, the greeting and the smile and to be able to uh, take them in as, a, as someone who's also a human being who perhaps is following a different opinion, depending on what exactly it is, right? You have those who are totally out of what is acceptable. Still, you should offer them a little bit of respect in the sense that don't you want the truth that you have to, to be heard by them, they will never be able to hear it if you didn't offer them a minimum respect, you know. And so I, I've, I've learned that because when I was younger, we were trained, should I say, to just look at people who differ from you and to go the other way. And that's it. The term used was al-wala wal-bara, and that's it, you know. And I felt that something was amiss. And then I learned that the interpretation of it differs from from sheikh to sheikh, and then a lot of them haven't ever lived in the West, and they haven't interacted with people who might not be Muslim, or people who may be Muslims from a different background, who perhaps grow up or grew up believing that they were always right, and maybe they, 
they may have an opinion that you might not have even learnt or thought about or even considered or they may be wrong. Nonetheless, still you've got to offer the guys respect. That's what I learned. That's probably one of the biggest things I've learned over time. So it doesn't mean everyone that I get along with do I agree with. That's who I am now. Uh, the next question says, it's a personal one again. How do you deal with pressure? Subhanallah, that's a beautiful question. Sometimes I, I don't like to talk to people when I'm under pressure. I like to get things done. I can give you a, a good example. When I'm done with my event, uh, I need a moment of silence because I, I need to just process what has happened. I need to unwind a little bit. And that's the reason why going to an event and coming back from event. When you're going to the event, there is a different type of a pressure. When you're leaving, there is a different type of, perhaps not pressure, but a feeling. You know, you need to, you need to sort of uh, cool down a little bit. You need to process what has happened and you need to have the moment of silence. I mean, I'll be speaking for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, concentrating while you're talking. You need to have concentration. You need to watch the faces. You need to see the reactions and you need to be quick enough to be able to react to something that's just happened in front of you at that time. And so I go alone. If you notice, I drive myself. I drive myself back. I don't like someone with me because I don't want to talk again to someone else. It's going to take away my concentration. And a lot of the times in my life, pressure has to do with getting things done. And so one thing with pressure is as much as I don't like to talk to people, I can get things done under pressure. If you tell me you've got to be here at five, or the flight is at five. I'm one of the only guys who there is an hour left and I'm still just leaving home. I'm talking of back, in, back home in Zimbabwe, not here. The airport is so far here. Back at home, the airport is 10, 15 minutes away. So I've already contacted the guys. I'm probably already checked in. Everything is ready. I just got to walk straight through. And what do I do? Last minute, I'm packing. And there are others who pack two days in advance, maybe a day in advance and everything is ready waiting. With me, it is like that if I'm traveling with the family, but when I'm alone, it's a last minute thing. And it's not like I'm delayed, no. I left it for that time because I know I can do a better job under pressure than I would if I did it much earlier. May Allah forgive us. The next card, it says, what's your favorite struggle? That's a tough one. What's your favorite struggle? What's your favorite struggle? So when people often ask me, I say like fatherhood because it's not always easy, but it's so rewarding and I'm so grateful for it. Okay, I can think of something. I can think of something because I'm in Leicester. I probably know a thousand guys in Leicester, maybe. The number of calls and messages I got, even while I was coming here, from people close to my heart, so many. Each one wants me to have a cup of tea. Each one wants one minute of my time. One minute by a thousand is how many hours? Each one says, I just need 30 seconds of your time. I just need 20. To maneuver and navigate through that, giving importance to every individual, making them feel that they are very important to you is my biggest struggle. That's a fact of life. Ever since, obviously, I, I, I work very hard. If those who know me, right? And it's so difficult because I've just come in and I'm leaving as soon as I'm done with whatever I am, I'm out. You know that we're in the midst of a pandemic, inshallah, that's about to leave us by the will of Allah. Amen. And I can tell you that it's so difficult because how many, I can name you at least 
200 people that I know in your city, and I know them quite well. You know that I'm from Africa. Tell me how many of you are originally Africans, perhaps. So many, mashallah, right? Or you have family. And not only that, but how many are close to me? You know me, perhaps from somewhere. It's very difficult, very difficult. And especially when people feel bad, they think you've become arrogant, they think you've changed, they think now that you're popular, you're, you know, you're an idiot, and so on. You know what? Take it in your stride. You give them the importance you can. Explain to them. If they don't understand it, make dua for them. Talk to Allah about them. Explain to Allah what has happened and tell Allah to calm them and to cool their hearts and minds and to give them goodness and inshallah, that's okay. I feel good about it. If I pray for someone who's been ugly to me, I feel very good about it. So that's a struggle, brother Faisal. Give me one principle that changed your life that I could implement or that we could implement. I said it earlier, trust Allah for everything, no matter what. You lose, you trust Allah. You win, you trust Allah. You gain, you trust Allah. You, you have a problem, you trust Allah. Things are not going your way, you thank him even more. And you talk to him. That's a very good habit, to talk to Allah. When I, if the best gift you could ever give me is to talk to Allah about me. And what that means is you speak to Allah. You know, this guy, for example, he's... He's helped me in this way, that way, knowingly, unknowingly. Help him as well. You know his issues. You know he, whatever I may not know. Uh, give him peace. Give him goodness. Give him jannah. Forgive his shortcomings. Strengthen him. Protect him from harm. I do this about others. I do it about communities. Speak to Allah about Luton. And tell him. And Allah knows it more than you do. But it's good for you to like, you know, cry to him. Tell him. He knows. But he wants to hear it from you as well. It's like your dua. Allah already knows it, but you're making it. He knows it. And when he likes it when you cry. You know, when you have a, a big contact and you say, hey, listen, guy, you know, uh, this guy here is struggling. Please help him. You know? And you know, he's a big guy. He's a contact. That's a small example. Allah's example is far higher than that. Allah is uh, the Lord of the worlds. But in a much more respectful way, you can do something similar. Allahu A'lam. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. The next one says, one of Allah's names... Translates to your protecting friend, Al-Wali. Can you think of a time in your life where you felt that name kind of in existence? Subhanallah. You know, when you were saying one of the names of Allah, a lot of names were going through my mind just now. And then when you said Al-Wali, uh, indeed, a lot of the times when we, ha when we sense a little bit of fear, should I say, maybe some anxiety uh, as human beings there might be things that have happened they have in my life in the past it was a little bit more right now it's a bit less but definitely you rely on Allah and you trust Allah and you know that he has your back because you fulfill salah five times a day you are trying to earn the pleasure of Allah you are trying to be a good person you might have faltered a little bit not because you're evil but because you're weak. There's a very big difference between the two. When I do something wrong, number one, it's not something majorly wrong. And number two is, even if it is, it's because I'm a human being and I'm weak and I've faltered. Not because I'm defying Allah, not because I'm an evil person. I'm not an evil person. So to trust Allah that he will protect you, he will look after you. He is the one who has your back. This has happened a lot of times. You know, I've actually 
had a, an incident where I was trying to cross a border and I was told, listen, you need a visa. But we didn't need a visa the previous week when we crossed it the other way. And they said, no, the legislation has changed. And I was thinking, there's no way. I'm here with my family and I really need this to happen. Allah created a miracle. About an hour and a half later, I don't know if you want to hear the story, but you, some of you might have heard it. I have mentioned it before, I think. An hour and a half later, miraculously, I was asked to cross. It's okay, you can go, fine. Here's a stamp, your passport, and you can carry on. So that's Allah, Al-Wali, the protector. He looks after you, he takes care of you, he makes sure that you're okay. He will, and therefore, you don't need all that anxiety. You know, beyond a certain point is very, very unhealthy. So you develop your conviction as well in Allah. So the next question, it says, when I think of meeting Allah, I feel blank. Excited. I, I don't know what the others feel. When I think of meeting with Allah, I feel excited. I can tell you why. I'm not a saint. I've done a lot of wrong things, like I've said. Not majorly wrong, inshallah. I seek forgiveness every day. I ask Allah to forgive me. Things I know, things I don't know. People I may have hurt unintentionally. A few you might have hurt intentionally. I was speaking to someone on the phone a few moments ago and I was saying, you know, I don't think I've hurt people unless they've asked me to do something wrong and then I was unable to do it and they felt hurt as a result of that. Then maybe they're hurt. But uh, reasonably, I wouldn't intentionally hurt someone. So I try to fulfill my salah, do whatever I can, help people be as genuine as possible, uh, try and be the best version of myself, trying to follow whatever I can of the sunnah, etc. I am weak, we're not up there, but I know my Lord is most merciful, most forgiving, most kind, most beautiful, most amazing, most beneficent, and so on. I'm excited to meet him. I know I've been trying all along, come on. If, if, if I'm excited to see you guys here in Birmingham, what about the one who made you? Shouldn't I be more excited to see him? You know, people say, hey, I'm frightened. Don't be frightened. Are you trying? Are you a good guy? Do you think you're reasonably decent? Do you think you have something to present to Allah? Oh Allah, this is what I did because I knew one day I'm going to meet you. So I did this, 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 this. I hope you accepted it from me. I hope you liked it. You know, when you, when you, when you make a cake for someone and you present it to them and you say, I hope you like it. And you're wishing and hoping that they liked it because it's one of the latest or whatever it may be. With Allah, it's very different, but we have deeds we've done. All of us have done good deeds, haven't we? At some point in our lives, we have good deeds. Inshallah, for as long as you haven't harmed another human being, one day you will see those deeds and they will be multiplied by 10. And at the same time, you present them to Allah because that's what you've come with. Ya O oh, you who believe, be conscious of Allah, develop the correct relationship with Allah, and each one of you should look into what you've prepared for tomorrow to hand in to Allah. So I'm excited usually when I think of the day I'm going to pass away. None of us want to die right now, but whenever Allah has chosen, may Allah take us away when He knows it's best for us to go. May He take us away doing good deeds, not bad deeds. May He take us away having forgiven us. 
in a way that we will go straight into Jannatul Firdaus. We ask Allah that and therefore we keep on doing good deeds and you know, when you die, imagine you're going to meet the one who created the beauty of the earth that is not allowed to go into paradise. Imagine what paradise will look like and if he created paradise, imagine what he will look like. And when you think about all of this, you should be excited to meet with Allah. May Allah grant us Jannatul Firdaus. I mean, Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. I'm conscious of time because I want to talk to you a bit about Iman Academy. So the next two questions, I'm going to combine because they're kind, they're fairly similar. So the first one, it says, what is the biggest small thing that you could do today? But then the next question says, what steps could you take today to get closer to Allah? So I'm going to combine them. I'm going to say general advice for all of us here. What small steps could we take today to get closer to Allah? Point number one. Always bear in mind in your heart that I'm a Muslim. Just bear in mind, bear that in mind. No matter what you're doing, who you meet, you interact with, just bear in mind I'm a Muslim. That would mean I have responsibilities, I have duties, I need to be upright, I need to convey this message of Islam without actually conveying it by mouth to begin with. What that means is someone just sees you. They must be so delighted by just looking at you and the way you carry yourself that they're already attracted to something that they may not understand initially what exactly it is. And the moment they interact with you a little bit more, they would figure out that's your faith that has driven you to be so calm, so collected, so beautiful, so kind, so loving, smiling all the time or happy, should I say, because that's part of the deen of Allah. So as much as these are small things, this is something all of us can do. Bear in mind, you're a Muslim. There's so much that that holds. And this is why the next thing that I want to talk about, which is also connected to a small thing that you could do to make a big change, constantly seek the forgiveness of Allah, bearing in mind that Allah is most forgiving. We all make mistakes we all sin we sometimes we know sometimes we don't seek the forgiveness of Allah and feel that you're forgiven feel that you're forgiven the two come hand in hand because shaitan doesn't want you to seek forgiveness and as soon as you do he doesn't want you to feel forgiven that's a very very important point Many of us, we seek forgiveness from a major sin. And then we feel like, no, I'm not forgiven. Maybe it was a bit too big. Or maybe was it that easy to actually be forgiven? To be honest with you, yes, it was. And yes, it is. And yes, it shall be right up to the end. I am always smiling at the story of Adam alayhi salam that Allah has repeated in the Quran where he was told not to do one thing only. And that's the exact thing they went to do. I mean, come on, I, I feel that if I was told not to do things, I doubt I would do all those things that I was told not to do. I might fall here and there, but not that badly, inshallah. However, why did that happen? The wisdom of Allah was to teach us that, listen, if you are to falter, you've got to pray back in the same way, seeking forgiveness that Adam alayhi salam did. What were the words they said? رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. If you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we will be from among the losers. So forgive us and have mercy on us. Those were the words of Adam alayhi salam. Allah says, we forgave him. If you say the same words with a genuine feeling, you're forgiven. So that's something very important. As small as it might sound, it's a huge thing. Okay, the next question it reads, tell me something about one of your grandparents. Um, 
I've only seen three of my grandparents. So my mum's mum and dad, I've seen them. And my dad's dad, I've seen him. He was, he always read Quran as far as I know. In fact, all of them were very, very uh, pious according to what we knew as children. They would be connected with the Quran. They were always interested in the deen. And that, uh, that was a big thing. I just remember that my grandfather was about 86 and he, he, could be, he couldn't hear well and he couldn't see well at that age. So he used to use a Quran with massive letters, you know. But he still used to read loudly because when you can't hear well, sometimes you end up uh, uh, yelling, screaming or say, saying things much louder. Nowadays you have devices that you can use in your ears. But subhanAllah, I think one thing that impressed me as well was even though he had a walking stick, he still walked to the masjid. And with us, we have no walking stick. We have no problem with our knees or anything and we wouldn't even walk towards a the masjid at times, and it's right around the corner. So that's a, that's a big one. We are healthy, we are fit, we have advanced technology, we have cars, we have facilities, we have heaters, we have jackets, and we still don't do the basic things they did without all of that. So uh, this next one is another one that I'm going to spin. I want to ask your advice uh, for all of us. So the question, the card it reads, do you need to outgrow your environment? And, and I want to ask you about outgrowing your environment. How often should we reflect on who we have around us and if we should kind of outgrow it? I think one of the important factors is when outgrowing the environment because of negativity that's in it or because it's on a level that you, you are now perhaps surpassing, you need to become a leader in your own way. So you have to lead. Sometimes when you're leading, you're all alone. And you, know, you feel very lonely because not everyone is uh, thinking that way or not everyone wants to pray five times a day. Not everyone wants to dress appropriately. Not everyone wants to stop smoking. Not everyone wants to stop going to the clubs. Not everyone wants to give up weed. Not everyone wants to simply just give up shisha. I mean, people might say, ooh, are you really talking about that? It's a fact. Not everyone is the same. So there comes a time when you outgrow that and when you feel, you know what, this is something of the past. I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, in that particular case, which is, it's a very good thing, but you are going to need to have some leadership qualities. One of them is loving loneliness. When you're alone, it's okay, it's fine. It's good to be alone for as long as I'm not in bad company or something that's going to take me back to where I was that I didn't really like. So from that aspect, it's something very, very important to be able to love your solitude or to look for new friends, new circles and so on, perhaps, so that you can perhaps grow beyond the environment that you're in. Sometimes you may have to shift out of some place. I remember, I mean, dealing with some who have been on drugs and so on. May Allah protect us and our children and everyone. Uh, what happens is because they have their friends whom they grew up with who have those bad habits, they need to get out of the whole environment and the system, sometimes change suburb, change city, change your whole circle of friends, change your phone numbers and change everything simply because it's the new you and you need to live on that level. The minute you slide back into that friendship, they're going to reintroduce you to the good old days and for the old time's sakes, you might just take a puff and a puff is the end. <laughs> May Allah Almighty protect us all. Okay, Sheikh, you mentioned you're a busy man, Mufti Menk, so this question says, what should you slow down on? What should you slow down on? 
the speed on the M1. Mashallah, I think uh, today we must have clocked a speed. I'm not going to say it, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good advice. Okay, the good we'll move on is, swiftly. The, the good thing is we have ways that lets us know when and what to do. Alhamdulillah. But my brothers and sisters, what to slow down on? You know, in life, we take for granted our family members, our children, our spouses, in the case of those who are married, our parents, in the case of those who are not, our grandparents at times. We take for granted these gifts of Allah. And we don't realize that everyone is different, so you will have differences. You may not really get on with your grandparents on either side. You may not. You may not get, get on with your parents. You may, there may be a little bit of conflict because there is a generation gap. There may not be such a good understanding, but you have to make the most of it. You have to excuse them for a few things. That's your lineage. That's your family. That's a circle that Allah's created without your involvement. But Allah's placed them there as a test for you how much time you spend with them, how kind you are to them, how many gifts you may exchange. And it means a lot to just take a simple, you know, a rose and go and give your mom. I mean, have you ever done that? People might say, no, you're crazy. You know, you're a sheikh. How could you say that? Have you ever taken a little gift for your mom or your dad or your grandparents and just say something so simple, small, you know, and say, look, I brought this for you. I hope you like it. Subhanallah. If you make somebody's day, Allah will make your life. And I think we should slow down when it comes to the rat race of the outside world to, uh, as compared to that of our parents. And that as compared to that of those around us whom sometimes we ignore. I don't know why the system decided to work right now, but I think it's because I've been speaking about parents. And that's a blessing, right? Okay, I'm going to um, twi- uh, switch the next card around a bit. So the card, it reads, what are you not prioritizing? But what I want, what I want to switch it to is... I want to say that Mufti, you travel a lot and uh, you see a lot of us and you speak to a lot of us. And so I want to ask you advice on, uh, for all of us here, uh, what have you seen that kind of we could all be better at prioritizing and what should we be prioritizing at the kind of center of our lives? Okay, everyone knows we're Muslim. We're supposed to have prioritized our salah and our pillars. So I'm not going to go there. We're supposed to prioritize our relation with Allah. So I'm not going to go there. I want to talk about something that we take for granted, you know, in our relationships and in our day-to-day interactions. I think the way we speak to others really, really needs to be polished. It needs to be given priority. We, life has become a misery for a lot of people simply because of how others speak to them or they speak to others. And sometimes it's your own spouse and family members and the way we speak down, you know. And I think sometimes the, the, the social media and the general culture across the globe is heading in that direction where you don't care what type of language you use with anyone, even with yourself. So there is no self-respect remaining. How are you going to respect others? I find that, you know, you can be very polite, very good, very, very um, cultured in the way you speak. And it, it will make a big difference to everyone, including yourself. No need to scream, shout and swear. That's, there's no need for that. Sometimes you get married and Within 15 minutes of just getting together with your spouse, you start noticing traits that make you think, did I actually make the right decision? Sometimes within a day or two, you start seeing the true colors come up and people shouting, screaming, and, but I didn't think this was the case, you know? Or both sides, men and women. I'm not just blaming one. But I think we need to prioritize that. That's something I find in a lot of people lacking. You know, when someone speaks to me, I can size them up in the first few minutes. Completely, almost... I'm right a lot of the times. I can tell you this person needs a lot of help in, 
in, in the way they were brought up. Maybe they weren't even brought up because a lot of the times mom and dad were never ever there for us. Nobody was there to teach us. We just went to school and grew up with the rest of them, you know. Uh, and, and nobody disciplined us in any way. May Allah forgive us. So sometimes I can pick it up and I wish I could help them. Lovely people, but they're lacking in something big time. And then when you try to say something, they say, don't judge me. Okay, in that case, we'll keep quiet and talk to Allah about you. What else can we do? May Allah grant us ease. I mean, Sheikh, being that this is the Ramadan edition, there's one question that I really like. It says, what is your favorite Ramadan memory? Does something come to mind? A lot of things come to my mind because Ramadan, I usually used to spend it in one community the entire month. So I always enjoyed it because you, you work on members of the community. You, you, you work very hard to deliver something and you try to understand the people. I have a habit. Before I tell you what I think you need to know, I'll try to get to know you or the circumstances around you a little bit so that I don't come across hard and harsh and, uh, you know, a person who's not... Uh, considering the people you're talking to and their level. So it, it, it developed me a lot over time to say you meet different communities, different people, and uh, they, they respect you big time for the sacrifice that you make for, for them. Every Ramadan is always unique. And I, I always look forward to the end of the Ramadan, just like I looked forward to the beginning of it, because at the end I can get back to my family and uh, something interesting I can let you know. My father told me many years ago that when you go and spend Ramadan in a community, don't lead Salat al-Eid for them. I said, but why not? They all want you to lead Salat al-Eid. You were with us for the whole month. The Eid is yours. He says, no. Leave the Eid for a local imam. Because if you want people to love you, you must understand the local imams and the Huffad, they all have some, something in their heart, like a goal that they want to achieve. And one of them is, one day I'm going to lead the Eid Salah. Right? So one day I'm going to lead the Eid Salah. Eid Salah takes a few minutes. It's just two rakat. You're a foreigner coming from outside. People have made a big deal about you and so on. And suddenly, you've just taken someone's dream and shattered it because they, 20 years, they've been eyeing out that opportunity. And you came and everyone's crying for you to do it. If you could be humble enough to step aside and say, guys, look, I may be here for Eid, but I'm not going to lead it. I'd like one of the local guys to lead it. And you know what? They will love you and respect you and you see they know you are not here to steal my job and you're not here to take away the dignity and honor that I'm searching for, but rather you're here to prop me up. And I think that's a beautiful piece of advice. It has helped me a lot. The same applies. I, I'm not uh, one who wants to lead the Salah or who wants to be. Uh, you are. If you notice, this function, this event could have happened easily in a masjid and we've shifted away from the masjid for many reasons. Uh, the masjid, obviously, it has its place and it's, uh, nobody can take it away as uh, Islam has given. But there are things you could not do there that you can do here. And there are people who may attend here who may not attend there. And then each masjid has its own rules and regulations. Whereas when you come into a hall, you can use your own rules and regulations. And you can have a, a greater cross-section of people would attend. When you go to a masjid, by default, it belongs to a certain grouping of people or it's run by a certain sect of people. So those who are not particularly from that particular sect might feel uncomfortable going there. And if you have a venue of this nature, you can even have non-Muslims come and they would be so excited to be here today. Subhanallah. And you can have anyone, those who are practicing, not practicing. So, mashallah, there is a lot to learn over time. It's not just something that, was, uh, that happened. It was thought about. Allahu alam. 
Um, I'm going to ask you one last question because this is a um, topic. Uh, Iman Academy is is who we're here representing, and I do want to talk a bit about seeking knowledge. But last question, I want to I want to seek your advice again. The card it says, would you say you're good at setting boundaries? But I want you to. I, I, I'm wondering if you can give us some advice about setting boundaries. Setting boundaries depends on what exactly it is. If it's something that would displease Allah, yes, you set them. And if ever you have gone close or crossed, you quickly come back and you turn and you, you seek the forgiveness of Allah and you strengthen yourself and you renew your vows once again with Allah to say, you know what, that is a boundary. And unfortunately, I fell on the other side, but I'm coming. I, I, I still believe it's a boundary and, and that's not, it doesn't necessarily depict who I am, but I am on this side. So if it comes to something halal, haram, then definitely the boundaries should be set. And uh, in my particular case, I've got quite uh, like strong boundaries, inshallah. We're human, we're insan, we, sometimes we could falter, but everyone falters on different levels, some really bad and some not bad. I remember I've been saying it the last few days when I asked the young man uh, about his use of social media, and he says, no, no, I don't do the haram, haram, you know, I just do the haram sometimes. So I was like, what's the difference? He says, no, that's like haram, haram, you know, but this is just haram, you know. So it's like, oh gosh, you know. So that was something I mentioned. And uh, what I feel is when it comes to boundaries with other things, then depending on what it is, you may decide to be a bit more flexible. Like sometimes, I'll give you an example. You have family members, people who've been nasty to you and so on, and you, you just set a limit to say, look, at this point I'm cutting off. Okay, fair enough. It started to become toxic and so on. You can cut off. But sometimes it's good to try and mend relations. I think the damage of a close family member who might have hurt you, harmed you, the breaking of the relation for longer than a few years could be more damaging long term and into the next generations than it would be to endure the patience of rebuilding that relationship. That's a very deep statement. It's going to be a sacrifice to rebuild this relationship, but that sacrifice is cheaper than the long-term loss of generations hating each other. I know of family members who've, who don't speak to each other for a long time. They've prohibited innocent cousins from getting together for, gener for a whole generation, and they, were grown, uh, they grew up to believe these people are bad and ugly, but that's your brother's kids. And that, you know. So to invest in solving the problem is far cheaper than to allow that problem to go through the generations. You know, our kids need to get married. A lot of you here are not married. Do you agree? Okay, maybe the whole of Luton is married. <laughs> you better respond because when I come up to speak, I'm going to ask questions. If you don't answer them, I'm going to have to leave. Say, the place is dry, man. <laughs> but subhanAllah, a lot of us need to get married. And sometimes we, we have blocked off potential people who could have been spouses. You know, from the broader family. I'm not one who encourages cousin marriage. You know, the permissibility and not is something that's there. Uh, in, in, in our generation and that previous, it was a little bit more common. But in the coming generations, we don't encourage it. Uh, the further you go, the better it is in, in a lot of ways. For as long as we think similar, for as long as we have similarities, uh, culturally we understand uh, the similarities and the differences. So you might not be of the same culture, but you understand each other, you respect each other. But... I think uh, if we invest in building relations, it's far better than enduring the loss of a broken relation. Jazakallah khair, Mufti. 
So uh, we'll put the game down for a while uh, because I want to talk a bit about seeking knowledge. If you guys are interested in the game, by the way, I am selling it at the Iman Academy store today, so you can come see me there. How many questions have we clocked so far in the last few days? Uh, we've probably done, because I've asked you different questions, haven't I? All different questions. Yeah, we've probably done maybe like 20 for now, but there's 100. Wow. So uh, you mean we've got to keep going? We have to, yeah. Inshallah. Well, I'm avoiding ones with you like, like are about me because there's a lot that's like, you know, um, ask me anything, I promise to be vulnerable or, or, or give me, or like, if you could give me a piece of advice and I'm avoiding all the ones, those ones. So, so you're picking the hard ones for me. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> I had a feeling. Okay, so, so we're here to speak about um, Iman Academy as well. And, um, you know, about seeking knowledge. So Iman Academy, brothers and sisters, is a platform that allows you to study your religion online. Um, uh, currently, we've got an offer for £5 a month. Uh, we'll speak a bit more about it and we'll show you a video about it later, uh, in now in just a few short moments. But Mufti, I wanted to ask you a few things about seeking knowledge. So the first thing I want to say is, if a person, let's say, for example, is, has reached... Perhaps they're a parent now or they're slightly older and they feel that, well, I didn't seek knowledge in my youth or when I was a child. And so kind of what's the point now or I don't have time now? Is there a point in me starting now? What would you say to that person? Many times we tend to end our relationship with learning after perhaps the primary madrasa education that is available in many cases. So we would learn Alif Ba, how to read the Qur'an, the basic rules and regulations. You get to year 7, year 8, year 9, and then suddenly that's the end of it. And we become busy with university or with work and with various other things, end up getting married and so on. And then there comes a time when you realize, you know what, gosh, I don't know much about my deen in terms of Qur'an, in terms of rules and regulations, in terms of hadith, for example, in terms of tafsir, in terms of a few other rules and regulations. And, you know, when you hear this, it sounds like you're either a scholar or you're not. But you don't realize in the middle, there is a category of students of knowledge, people who spend some of their time trying to learn things. And you may never end up knowing everything, and you wouldn't, obviously, because... Uh, up to the point of death, you expand your knowledge, but you won't have all of the knowledge. So, I Iman Academy, when it was founded, the idea was to make uh, something, to create for an alternative for those who don't really have much time because they're busy at work or with other responsibilities, and the learning is at your pace. So, it can be slow, it can be fast, based on what you want. You join and you dictate the pace. How many minutes do you have a day and at what time of the day you can log on and you will find the lesson ready for you. So I think it's extremely important for us to continue to expand our knowledge even if we're older and we have various other commitments or chores or responsibilities. We still have to expand our knowledge because the Prophet ﷺ has asked us to seek knowledge from the beginning to the end. And obviously the Sahaba عنهم, were equally vocal about seeking knowledge, teaching it and so on. And the same applies to all those who followed. So inshallah I pray that we can seek a little bit of knowledge every single day. One of the hadith, and that's the last one I'm going to mention here, is the Prophet says whoever treads a path of seeking knowledge. Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilman. Whoever treads a path of seeking knowledge, by the blessing of that and the barakah of it, Allah makes the path to paradise easier for that person. And in, the, in another narration, 
He says, a student of knowledge, even the angels lower their wings in order to cushion the path of those who are treading knowledge. I think that if you learn one new thing a day, surely every day the angels will lower their wings for you. Every day you have the path of paradise being made easier for you. Every day you feel a lot of blessings, even though I just spent five minutes on my phone, my app, you know. Maybe 50 minutes on TikTok, but just five minutes on the hadith. Guess what happened? Allah will grant me acceptance in one way or another. Slowly but surely the good will increase, the bad will decrease, and I'm preparing for the day I meet with Allah. How different is accessibility to knowledge now as it was, for example, when you were kind of a younger student? Wow. Knowledge is much more accessible, but the, the general laziness in the people is equally, uh, meaning is negative, so it actually balances it out. What that means is, in my time and even earlier, we used to have to go to the libraries to research a certain, say for example, ruling in Islam. And we, we actually went out, you'd look at 30, 40 books, come back the next day, the following day, and so on. Now, it's a click of a button or two. And it's a little bit difficult at times because you just need to know where to look. But still there is laziness such that people don't even want to do that much. So it's like Allah Almighty knew these guys are not going to read books, let me just give them the internet. But now with the internet, it's still that much. I mean, in, in all honesty, these guys are not going to read books, so Allah's blessed them with the internet. But they're still not, you know, uh, making use of it. So that's why we're here to say, as much as it is very accessible, you need to make use of that. And Allah will question you. On that day, Allah is going to ask you about the gifts He bestowed upon you. One of them is definitely a ni'mah that you just have everything at your fingertips. I mean, here you're being told about Iman Academy, about so many other academies, about scholars and so many lectures that you can hear online. It's not just a, it's not just a 30 second bite that you need to listen to or, or watch. It's more than that. You need to make an effort and we all do, we all do. I've found for myself also to expand knowledge. There are a lot of lessons that you have online that are in depth, in depth from, from senior scholars. So it's important to make use of that. Well, you just mentioned that we, we, we are going to be questioned on it. And my question to you is, what would you say to the person who perhaps says, well, I have a family, I have work, I, you know, I have my whole day planned out. Where am I able to fit this in? And how am I supposed to fit all of these studies in as well? How important is it? What should I be learning? I think when we established Iman Academy some time back, one of the main points was to keep it such that anyone can listen to the lesson and join in at any time of their convenience so much so that some people were complaining that this is moving too slow. But actually, we, we are catering for those exactly as you mentioned who don't have the time, busy with family, busy with this, with that. You can actually join at your time. You've got to make the time. Any time of the day, make the time. And then you, when you click in, it's not like the whole class has to be there together. You can hear the lesson at your convenience. And then it ticks off. You can hear it again. You, you know, it's ticked off. And then you can you unlock the next lesson because you heard the previous one. So that's how we managed it, mainly to cater for what you're just mentioning now, because we do know everyone is different. Everyone works differently. Everyone's hours are different. Some of the mums and dads out there have responsibilities with the kids, and you know, so many things need to happen. So yeah, you need to find those uh, perhaps uh, online academies or schools that have catered for this i hope you guys enjoyed that episode we did we did our best at 
stitching it all together uh, and keeping it as kind of like flowing as possible despite the various audio uh, challenges that we had with that. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed it and took something from it. Do remember, if you want to get the game, you can grab it at shop.freshlyguided.com and, of course, this T-shirt. Uh, and also, if you want to see more live Freshly Guided, you can come to our live tour at freshlyguided.com forward slash tour. Enjoy. I mean, no, not enjoy because this episode's finished. Uh, yes, yeah, still enjoy, though. Why not? Enjoy doing something else now. Goodbye. <laughs>